Good evening. Democrats election night wake up call. New York elects a second black mayor. Moderates and progressives make a deal on property tax exemptions and day six of the judicial inquiry into the killing of Eric Garner. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. Eric Adams' promise to New Yorkers on election night is that New York will be a different city in four years. With a centrist message crafted around public safety, Adams won a competitive Democratic primary in June and now the general election against Republican Curtis Sliwa. So brothers and sisters and the people of our city, they have spoken. And tonight, New York has chosen... One of you, one of our own. I am you. I am you. After years of praying and hoping and struggling and working, we are headed to City Hall. All of you have that power to fuel us. We are so divided right now. And we're missing the beauty of our diversity. Night is just, not just a victory over adversity, it is a vindication of faith. It is a proof that people of this city will love you if you love them. And that was Eric Adams and some celebratory drumming going on at his victory speech last night. It was a long road for Adams to get to Gracie Mansion. A former transit police officer and NYPD captain, Adams was elected to the state Senate in 2006. After four terms in Albany, he became Brooklyn Borough President in 2014. His goal was always to get to City Hall. Adams will have to lead the city out of the long COVID-19 pandemic and deal with difficult issues like housing, homelessness, crime, and a crisis on Rikers Island. And in national news, President Biden is returning from his overseas trip to face a Democratic Party in turmoil after losing a governor's race in Virginia and an unexpectedly tight race still undecided for governor of New Jersey. Democratic socialists also fell short of expectations. India Walton, who won the Democratic primary for mayor of Buffalo in June, lost by a landslide last night to the mainstream Democratic mayor who mounted a write-in campaign. But John Tarleton reports there were still progressive wins in New York and across the country. New York City voters have ushered in a new generation of socialist and progressive city council members. Five self-identified socialists, Tiffany Caban in Astoria, Alexa Aviles in Sunset Park, Kristen Richardson-Jordan in Central Harlem, Shanani Hanif in Park Slope, and Charles Barron in East New York won handily. Roughly a dozen other left-wing council candidates also cruised to victory, many with the backing of the Working Families Party. This includes downtown Manhattan anti-gentrification activist Christopher Marte, Sandy Nurse, and Chi Ose. Both Nurse and Ose organized and led Black Lives Matter protests last year. The new city council will also have a female majority for the first time ever. In citywide races, Brad Lander was elected city comptroller and Jamani Williams was re-elected as public advocate. The two are expected to provide a progressive counterweight to new mayor Eric Adams, who ran as a conservative Democrat and collected millions of dollars in donations from real estate and charter school interests. Looking beyond New York City, Michelle Wu was elected mayor of Boston on a platform that included fare-free mass transit, 
rent control, and a municipal Green New Deal. On this day, Boston elected your mom. Because from every corner of our city, Boston has spoken. We are ready to meet this moment. We are ready to become a Boston for everyone. We're ready to be a Boston that doesn't push people out, but welcomes all who call our city home. We're ready to be a Boston where all can afford to stay and to thrive. And yes, Boston is ready to become a Green New Deal city. In nearby Somerville, Massachusetts, a town of 80,000 people, four Democratic Socialists were elected to city council. They will form a majority on that seven-member body. Democratic Socialists also won city council races in Boston, Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, Ithaca, Hamden, Connecticut, St. Petersburg, Florida, and Carborough, North Carolina. The wins in Florida and North Carolina mark the first time socialists have won elected office in those two southern states. Yesterday, voters also approved several progressive ballot initiatives. New York State voters voted to enshrine the right to clean air and clean water in the state constitution. In Minneapolis, voters approved a ballot initiative to enact rent control. In Bellingham, Washington, voters approved the law to protect the right to organize labor unions. The measure would prohibit any person who receives city funds from using those funds to discourage unionization efforts by that person's employees or any other employees. And in Austin, Texas, voters by 66 percent voted against a plan to hire 800 new police officers while cutting millions of dollars in spending on social programs. This is John Tarleton of The Independent for WBAI News in New York City. Thanks, John. And more bad news for Democrats. Democratic Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey remained in a close race for re-election today, much closer than expected, while a Republican political newcomer delivered a stunning upset in the Virginia governor's race, sending a warning to Democrats that their grip on power in Washington may be in peril. Republican Glenn Youngking, a favorite of former President Donald Trump, was ecstatic last night in Virginia. All righty, Virginia, we won this thing! much fun how much fun together together we will change the trajectory of this commonwealth and friends we are going to start that transformation on day one But his Democratic opponent, Terry McAuliffe, wasn't conceding in the close race as of last night. We're going to wait for every vote to be counted, and that's how our democracy works. We're all sorry that tonight could not yet be the celebration we wanted it to be. But as I said, when every vote is counted and every vote will be counted, we hope to have a celebration. Terry McAuliffe speaking last night. Meanwhile... 
Across the country in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Mayor Jacob Fry has been reelected to a second term after a hotly contested race that was too tight to call on election night. Fry was declared the winner this morning after city officials allocated the second and third choices of voters as to who they would choose if their desired candidate was eliminated, leaving Fry with 49.1 percent of the votes compared to the second place vote getter, Kate Newth, who had 38.2 percent. 17 candidates ran in the race, including many who took issue with the way Frey had handled changes to the police department since one of its officers killed George Floyd last year. Frey, a Democrat, risked his political future and drew the ire of the city's most liberal voices by opposing a ballot question asking voters to replace the police department with the public safety department. The question failed 57 percent to 44 percent. Frey was the face of Minneapolis when George Floyd was killed by a police officer who was later convicted of murder in May 2020. And in news that spans the globe, as the excitement around the Glasgow Climate Summit fades, some children aged 5 to 12 at St. Convals Primary School in Glasgow, Scotland, have been learning about the causes and effects of climate change. They sent this message to world leaders. Hi, my name's Cassie and I'm nine years old. And I think um, if the world leaders were here, I would tell them that they, if if they would um, try to help um, like our world and stuff, that would be great because climate change is a horrible thing. It's breaking the ozone layer and everything, and there's gases emitted into the air and everything. Um, polar bears are dying. I think that the world leaders should tell everybody about what to do, like power up on plants or use less energy or educate yourself and others, shop wisely and conserve water. I also think that um, how cars have fossil fuels and oil and coal and all that, um, I think electric cars are better, but um, because they're so expensive, only a couple of people have them. So I think world leaders could maybe lower the prices a bit so more people could have them and it doesn't cause too much gas and stuff. I think that the adults and the children can do like so many things like I just told you um, but I think the most important thing is to that they can try their best and if they do then they can make a very big difference on our earth. As uh, Democratic holdouts like West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin whittle away at President Biden's climate agenda and his Build Back Better plan, the uh, desires of children for a better world seem more and more remote. Activists say the agenda threatens to become a basket full of polluter-friendly subsidies and goals not much better than what exists today. Mitch Jones is policy director at the Watchdog Food and Water Action. It's the case that the cutback to the Build Back Better Act has weakened the legislation, has undermined what could be potentially vitally important climate change legislation. We shouldn't fool ourselves that the original proposal was itself all that effective in fighting climate change because it relies on gimmicks and false solutions that allow the fossil fuel industry to continue to work for decades when we know it needs to be shut down within the next decade. But certainly uh, the Joe Manchin fight to weaken the legislation has definitely weakened it because of his opposition and the opposition of a handful of Democratic House members from Texas 
domestic fossil fuel subsidies, cutting those subsidies is no longer in the legislation, which means these industries will continue to get billions of dollars from American taxpayers every year in order to make them profitable when without those subsidies they wouldn't be and they would need to shut down. The scale back of this legislation is harmful to the fight for climate change. It's not the case that, as originally proposed, the bill itself was what we needed. Seems like not dealing with the issues that are really behind it. What we're talking about is billions of dollars going to something called carbon capture, which in its entire existence has never actually worked. They recently had to implode the largest carbon capture project in the United States, and yet Billions of dollars in this legislation are flowing to so-called carbon capture projects, projects which claim they can make coal clean, they can make natural gas clean, they can make other things clean. There's literally no physical evidence in the world that this works. I don't want to say we should be despondent, we shouldn't be hopeful, because there are still pathways, but the, the, the problem is that the legislation as it's been shaped by the Joe Mansions of the world, means that what is being proposed aren't real solutions, they're false solutions. And that means we need to pivot from what Congress is trying to do to what Joe Biden could do with his executive authority, but is failing to do. What are those things? Joe Biden ran on a promise to stop fossil fuel extraction on public lands. He hasn't done that. In fact, there's new proposed lease sales for public lands in the West and the Gulf and elsewhere. Early in the administration, drilling permits for public lands were outpacing any level that happened in the Trump administration. That has died off, but that was happening. He could declare a climate emergency, which gives the president more powers to do other things including stopping the export of liquefied natural gas, which is now one of the top markets for domestic frackers who have so much methane that they don't know what to do with it. They're just admitted it, admitting, uh, emitting it into the air, which is devastating for the climate because methane is 87 times more powerful as a greenhouse gas. Didn't he make an announcement this week that he was going to do something about methane? He said he was going to do something about methane. But what's interesting is that in the original press releases, the American Petroleum Institute was bragging about the fact that since January, they've been working with the Biden administration on these rules. The only regulation that really reduces methane emissions is to ban fracking, to stop drilling on public lands, and to end the export of liquefied natural gas. We are at a moment right now where Congress is failing to act and the president has the power to act. Call your congressman, call your senator, tell them that the Build Back Better Act has to eliminate fossil fuel subsidies, and then tell President Biden that he needs to end fossil fuel extraction on public land like he promised. Mitch Jones, policy director at the Watchdog Food and Water Action. Jones adds Democrats should go all in on what they say they really want by eliminating fossil fuel giveaways and putting that money into bona fide, clean, renewable solutions, not false hype about capturing pollution. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul Durienzo.
While meeting with the G20 leaders at their summit in Rome last week, President Joe Biden announced plans for a minimum 15 percent tax of corporate profits in every nation worldwide to eliminate the jockeying for tax-free status by countries trying to attract corporate money. That's often asked over – that's often um, parked overseas to avoid United States tax laws. What we've uh, seen again here in Rome, what I think is the power of America showing up and working with our allies and partners to make progress in issues that matter to all of us. I found in all of my meetings here, both the larger sessions and the one-on-one sessions, and I had many of those, a real eagerness among our partners and allies for American leadership to uh, help bring the world together and solve some of these big problems. For example, I'm proud that the G20 endorsed the global minimum tax. This is something the United States has been driving for for over a year, building momentum uh, to up to this achievement. And this is an incredible win for all our countries. Instead of nations competing against one another to track investment by bottoming out corporate tax rates, this set a minimum floor of 15 percent to ensure that giant corporations begin to pay their fair share no matter where they're headquartered instead of hiding, hiding profits overseas. And that's President Biden speaking about this new tax proposal that would hopefully uh, deter large companies like Apple and others from parking their profits in banks and other countries where uh, tax laws are much more liberal and easy to get around than in the United States. But today, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders announced a deal that uh, seems to go against the liberal idea of increasing taxes upon the wealthy. The deal, together with moderate Robert Mendendez, is to raise a cap on tax deductions passed under President Trump. Home property taxes that reduced taxes for middle-class American homeowners as well as the super wealthy. Bernie says he's ready to carve an exception for folks under a certain still undetermined limit. What is a sensible solution? And to me, the answer is obvious. We should eliminate that cap for families making, roughly speaking, we still got to do a little bit more tweaking here, but roughly speaking, $400,000 or less, not for millionaires and billionaires. And we should make that permanent. This would not only provide tax relief to millions of middle income and working class families, it would be deficit neutral. I was delighted to hear from Senator Menendez that he has been working on a very similar perspective on this issue, and our offices have agreed in principle on a compromise proposal that would eliminate the salt cap on middle-class families who need it the most and ensure that millionaires and billionaires don't receive any of the benefits. And as Bernie Sanders, liberals have balked at the emerging agreement, which would suspend a $10,000 cap on the SALT deduction for five years, removing a limit that Republicans included in their 2017 tax, pack, tax package as a way to pay for cuts for corporations and the rich. If it passes, the deal would be a major concession to a handful of Democrats from high-income states like New York and New Jersey who have insisted on lifting the cap in order to win their votes for President Biden's social policy and climate change package. So Senator Robert Menendez seemed amenable to the deal. What revenue neutral is, is a number that we'll have to determine. From my perspective, it could go as high as 550,000, and we'll see what the numbers come forth at. This deduction also provides the ability of blue chip states like New Jersey 
to support communities to raise their own revenues and fund critical investments in public education, infrastructure, social services, and public safety. It was never meant to be a tax write-off for the rich. In this regard, I have said time and time again, there is a reason that New Jersey is a, a blue chip state, a maker state. We donate more revenue to the federal treasury than other states that sometimes I call a moocher state, a state that receives far more than they contribute to the federal treasury. In order to continue to be a blue chip state, a maker state, the state and local property tax deduction is critical so that those investments can be made that continue to generate the economic engine that states like New Jersey have been. New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez. And closer to home here in New York City, uh, other things are going on besides the uh, election. This Today was also the sixth day of hearings, judicial inquiry, it's really called, into the killing by police, uh, police officer uh, in 2014 of Eric Garner uh, in Staten Island. And we heard uh, from um, uh, a officer uh, named uh, Kizzy O'Donis, who was there and testified for several hours today about the events that led up to the death and what happened afterwards. Let's go to uh, some folks who were there, including Eric Garner's mother, Gwen Carr, uh, to speak about uh, what they considered the main points of today's hearing. Two witnesses heard this morning. One was Sergeant Kizzy Adonis, who is the only officer besides Pantaleo who has even faced any kind of disciplinary consequences in the seven plus years since Eric was murdered. And then there was testimony from Captain Beckham Kalichovich, who we will hear more from in the afternoon. I'm going to turn it over to Mrs. Carr right now. Yes, today is day six. It's been six days that I've sat through this testimony, constantly hearing the officers lie. And you would know they're lying. You see that they tell their stories different each time they tell it. Today, we heard from Kizia Dunn's. We know that just before Pantaleo was fired, that they did a backdoor deal with Kizzy Adonis, the commissioner, and Kevin Richardson. All they did was take vacation days away from her. To hear her testimony this morning, she should have definitely been fired. She testified that she seen Eric being arrested. When she came up, all she seen was Eric being arrested he was down on the ground. He had his hands behind him. He was resisting arrest. And all these officers are on top of him. How is he resisting an arrest? He was yelling, I can't breathe. She heard him saying, I can't breathe. But she said she paid no attention to that. Uh, She's seen no misconduct. She's seen no use of force being used. And as we know, with the firing of Pantaleo, there was force being used, and she was right there. She thought that Eric's condition wasn't a concern. But in the same breath, she says that she went over to former officer Pantaleo and asked him, was he good? She wanted to know, was he good? And my son was laying on the ground, lifeless, and she was not concerned about him. That says a lot about how she is policing, how she is in charge, and what stand she's taken when New Yorkers are in distress. There was no concern for Eric. 
since she was so disconcerned about a citizen that lays lifeless on the ground, she doesn't need to be on the force. None of those police officers who was there that day, who participated in the death of my son, needs to be on the force. They all need to be fired. I'm Alicia Garner. I'm Eric's sister. And speaking on the behalf of what I've seen today and seven years ago, it's still the same thing that all of us see that would never change. Um, Kizzy Adonis, as my mom says, she did nothing. She didn't do anything to help my brother. She didn't do anything to inform the other officers to help my brother. They tried to stand a dead man up. How are you trying to stand a person that's lifeless on their feet? And you see, they had to lay him back down. Once again, that's no consideration for life. All the officers, they definitely need to be fired. The, the word CPR on the side of their car means nothing to them. I'm just annoyed and continue to be frustrated with the way that they treated my brother and the way they handled him that day. They should be ashamed of themselves. And I want to see the right justice take place. None of them did anything that they were supposed to do to care for a life that was in distress. And when she held on to Pantaleo to ask him, was he okay? She should have been holding on to Eric and asking him, is he okay? When you see foam coming out of somebody's mouth, that means that they're not okay. Kizzy Adonis, she just is, is, is dumb as the day is long because look what they did to her. They didn't do that to any of the other officers and she's still running and taking their side. That, that speaks volume. That speaks volume. So... And that was uh, the press conference that followed the sixth day of hearings into the judicial inquiry of the killing of Eric Garner in the summer of 2014 by a police officer who was uh, subsequently fired. And the only officer who was fired, despite the seeming lack of uh, interest or uh, fulfilling the idea of, uh, of what they call uh, CPR, right, which is uh, the respect that you're supposed to give to somebody who is uh, is in uh, danger and needs help. And New York taxi workers have won a city-backed guarantee. Loans will now be restructured to a maximum of $170,000. That ends a hunger strike, a debilitating hunger strike that had uh, been going on for some time as uh, – Workers try to get some sort of uh, help for taxi medallions that collapsed when Uber and other companies Lyft and others were allowed into the city. At a rally late this afternoon, New York Transit Workers Union leader Bhairavi Desai said this deal means no more debt beyond our lifetime, no more risk of losing homes. John McDonough, WBAI's favorite taxi driver, is on the line. I was down there today and th there was an air of optimism there was uh, meetings going on with Beta V Desai from the Taxi Workers Alliance and Chuck Schumer and Mayor de Blasio. And the thing, Chuck Schumer took a personal interest in it because his father was a cab driver. So it looks like, if you can believe the negotiations, I haven't talked to Beta V yet, but that it is going to be restructured because it was getting serious. One of the cab drivers, Richard Chow, whose brother, Kenny Chow, committed suicide up at Gracie Mansion. He jumped into the East River, parked his yellow cab on East End Avenue, and he was in bad shape. He came today in a wheelchair, 
and there wouldn't have been much time before he would have been hospitalized. He had diabetes, he had high blood pressure, so this happened at an opportune time before any of the drivers got really sick or died or ended up in the hospital. So, John, uh, what does this mean as far as this uh, deal? Is there a feeling of hope that somehow now uh, people can at least be saved the worst uh, aspects of like total business collapse and bankruptcy and and maybe have a second chance? And where can a taxi driver go who's been denied his way of making a living nowadays? Well, you you can still work out of the garage uh, and and, and get a cab to go out. But this was mainly for uh, cab drivers that own medallions. And particularly if they bought the medallions from, say, 2013 onward, where the city was selling them for up near a million dollars, starting when Bloomberg, when he was doing it, then onto de Blasio. And they were guaranteeing the drivers that this was going to be the price of the medallion. But it was inflated. And one of the people that inflated it, was a guy who died just last week, Gene Friedman, who was known as King of the Taxi Drivers. Now, watch to connect the dots here. Gene Friedman also was running cabs, medallions, for Michael Cohen. And Michael Cohen was the lawyer for Donald Trump. So you see, all these three con artists came together on the medallions. Now, he died at the age of 50, but he had 800 medallions, and what he would do is bid up the price of a medallion, and as he bid it up, he would go to the bank and then get collateral loans, saying, listen, look, I have 800 medallions, I'm now worth $800 million. And then he, was, he, he virtually collapsed it, along with what's known as uh, the new technology or disruptive technology. When Uber John, this guy, uh, Cohen, who we know so well, presents himself as a good guy. You're saying he's not the good guy who's, who split from Trump and confessed to all his crimes and did his time that you're saying. Oh, he is so sickening to see on TV. He's talking about, oh, Trump is no good. Cohen was no good right from the jump. But that's why Trump picked him as his lawyer. All these snakes were all together between Friedman, Cohen and and Donald Trump. But you can all see they all came together on that. So now the drivers have a chance of paying off the debt. What was going on, particularly with COVID, there was nobody making any money on the street. So paying off 500000 or a million dollars, it was never going to happen. Now you can actually see it. Like the loans are going to be down so low that you'll be able to work and pay it off. So it's not as if that these loans were wiped out. They just brought it down to a level that you can actually work the streets and pay off the loan and not uh, send it on to another generation. Like when, All right, John, I'm going to have to stop you there because we're running out of time. But thanks so much for responding on such short notice and for doing the work you do here at WBAI. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Paul. Okay, take care. John McDonough, WBAI's favorite taxi driver, longtime host at this radio station. And that's some of the news for Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.